Hello and welcome to IR Thinker, where international affairs are discussed. I'm Martin Zubko. Today I'm interested in triangle, international relations triangle between Israel, Azerbaijan and Iran. My guest today is Alexander Greenberg. Hello, Alexander. Hello, Martin. Alexander is a researcher at the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security. He is expert on Iran and he publishes uh, articles about this uh, topic, this issue. So let's start with the first question. And that question is to give us a bit of brief overview of uh, Iran and Azerbaijan relationship, because your latest article is speaking about the proxy war. So let's explain this a little bit. Well, first of all, let's uh, dwell in the deeper reasons of the conflict between Iran and Azerbaijan. It is noteworthy that the conflict between uh, the two countries has always existed since Azerbaijan's independence in 91, meaning that uh, Azerbaijan, by the mere fact of its independence, bothers the Iranian regime. There is no historical background of uh, then history, if I may say, that fuels this conflict. Yet, uh, first reason, Azerbaijan is divided. Azeris are uh, making up the most important national minority of uh, ethnic minority of uh, Iran, meaning that the southern provinces of Iran are called Azerbaijan Janubi, southern Azerbaijan, uh, whose population uh, consists of Azeris, they are Shiites, they are Iranians, but they speak also their national uh, Turkic language. It's not Turkish, it's Azeri, it's Azeri language. And uh, although they don't want to immigrate to the independent Azerbaijan, of course, they uh, feel sympathy with, uh, the, with their, uh, Azerbaijan to the detriment of their regime. Uh, meaning that the regime doesn't like uh, the independent Azerbaijan because it is a secular state, and of course because of its ties with Israel. And uh, there is also another deeper reason, and it is uh, the discrimination of uh, Azeris by the regime. It is noteworthy that there is no ethnic discrimination in Iran on a personal basis, as long as you are Shiite, of course. Uh, meaning that it's a, I am not talking about a situation when a person who is Azeri or Kurd is a discriminated personally. But it means that the Azeris who have their national language, they are deprived of their natural right to have a press and education in their language, which only fuels separatists' uh, tendencies within, uh, within Azerbaijan, the southern Iranian Azerbaijan, which, uh, of course, the regime uh, doesn't like either. This is the main reason of the conflict. There are also tributary reasons, such as the conflict between Iran and Russia and Azerbaijan over the territorial waters of the Caspian Sea, which is uh, divided between Iran and Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan also is working to create a Zanzibar corridor relating Azerbaijan to Nakhichevan, it's Azeri 
region, but isolated from Azerbaijan. If Azerbaijan manages to build this, to accomplish the build of this corridor, it will relate Azerbaijan to Turkey and uh, it will be on the most important trade way uh, from, uh, from Azerbaijan to Turkey, to, to Europe. And uh, of course, there is also Israeli factor that, uh, in, uh, in the view of Iran, uh, the Azeri government is uh, on the payroll of the Zionists. You could see an anti Semitic cartoon uh, of uh, Azerbaijan's president, uh, Ilham Aliyev, uh, depicted, uh, depicted as, a, as a Jew with a big Jewish nose, etc., etc., meaning that it's criticism, it's not the criticism of uh, this or another Azeria politics, but something that is not uh, normal, to put it mildly, between uh, normal countries. And in this regard, it should be noted that the relations between Israel and Azerbaijan have, uh, be, uh, there were established in 91, immediately upon the independence of Azerbaijan, and they nothing to do with Iran, uh, meaning that it is not true to see that ah, the conflict uh, of Iran is as, uh, with Azerbaijan is because of the Israeli presence there. Why is there uh, Israeli presence there? Ah, because of Iran. No, it's not true. Uh, why? So there is another reason also because Baku has always been a center of the Tsarist Russian, of the Tsarist Russia's uh, petrol industry. It was a big industrial uh, city, and uh, there were always Jews, both Ashkenazi and the local Sephardi, it's not Sephardi Jews, but mountain Jews, just uh, Persian-speaking and the Syrian-speaking Jews that had different communities. And uh, despite all that, all the uh, all the people who hail from Baku here in Israel, they remember with love uh, the city and the country because Azerbaijan was uh, the only place in the Soviet Union where the Jews uh, were never discriminated, uh, where anti-Semitism had never existed. This is like why Azerbaijan. And of course, uh, Azerbaijan is important because of its role as a chief supplier of uh, oil to crude oil to Israel and also Azerbaijan is gaining uh, uh, more importance uh, because of its capacity to supply gas to Europe. It cannot replace the Russian gas, of course, but still it is a very significant supplier. Iranian, Iranian propaganda is behaving in such a way that it exacerbates conflicts in general instead of trying to calm them down. For example, they call Azerbaijan on the Baku, regime Baku, the Baku regime. They write from time to time that Nakhchivan has always been a part of Iran. And uh, there was a spontaneous between the brackets attack on the Azeri embassy in Iran. And of course, uh, it cannot be a spontaneous thing in Iran. And uh, the last thing, Iran is uh, acting uh, through, it's, uh, it is carrying out its uh, diversion, disruption through various framework that usually cannot be suspected of intelligence activity. For example, there is an organization for Islamic international ties. It's uh, formally, it's like an organization that spreads 
uh, Iranian culture. So from the first glance, it's a normal organization. But if you look into their site, you clearly see that it propagates the Iranian regime propaganda, neither a Persian language as such, nor, nor, nor a shism. And the people uh, belonging to this, uh, who are affiliated to this organization, are very often IRGC officers who do some other things, and this is why they were expelled from Azerbaijan. And just to make this point clearer, it's not that uh, it's uh, it is not my only proof that if Azerbaijan expelled them, so there are Iranian spies, because there are plenty of other cases. For example, in Algeria, a cultural advisor of uh, the Iranian embassy in Algeria was uh, carrying out uh, actions uh, that were not, uh, to put it mildly, in conformity with his diplomatical status. And uh, this person also belonged to this, uh, the English uh, abbreviation is ICRO, uh, International Organization for Islamic Ties or something like that. So it's a, a reiterating pattern. Across, uh, so this is uh, in a nutshell the peripacy of uh, of Iranian Israeli Azerbaijan. I see. And one question from my students: uh, There are approximately twelve to twenty million people in Iran associated with Azerbaijan or Azeri or. Persian Turks or Iranian Turks, Iranian Azeris, depends what sort of names are we using. And the question is, how those people ended up in Iran, or is this by historic sort of development between Iran and Azerbaijan? Because that's a quite significant portion of population. Yes, it's a very interesting question. So the answer is as complicated as the question. It's a historical, both historical and political development because, well, uh, there were Azeris, but uh, it is true that uh, there has never been independent Azerbaijan. Okay, it is a new creation uh, following the collapse of the Soviet Union. It is a Soviet Union that created uh, Azeri, this Azeri Republic, but again, it is true for many nations. There are very many nations that uh, didn't exist uh, 200 years ago, but they exist now. It is not uh, like uh, I cannot gauge the the the, say, the the credibility or veracity of this in other nations. So, and of course, there have always been Azeri language. But Iran is a nation state. Unlike uh, most Arabs, uh, Arab countries, Iran indeed is a nation state in, uh, in the influence of a Persian culture, though they speak their own languages. And Iran, uh, before the before the rule of the Muhammad Reza Shah, the founder of the modern Iran. Was indeed just uh, there was Iran, but uh, there were many tribes, and uh, what uh, Mohammad Reza, uh, Reza Shah, not Mohammad is his son, kind of, he uh, melded Iran into one uh, national state. Uh, he destroyed the independence of tribes, and uh, uh, meaning that as a result, Iran is indeed 
a unified national state in the sense that I don't have a, quite a good analogy, but the people are united by Iranian-ness, by Iranian culture, but they want also to preserve their own ethnic uh, origins or language, so there is no contradiction. The problem is that the regime uh, does uh, everything uh, it can to exacerbate, even unwillingly, this contradiction. So uh, this is uh, the answer, and uh, because uh, indeed uh, Tabriz, the capital of uh, Iran and Azerbaijan, is, uh, was also cap Iran's capital about several hundred years ago, but the regime creates uh, problems, or it has always all, uh, something to do with the, the protest the protests across the country, meaning that the regime always prefers to dispatch besieger like uh, this paramilitary organization from uh, remote uh, regions or villages to crush the Tehranis and vice versa, because uh, uh, it is plausible to assume that the Nazari from Tabriz will be reluctant to attack his own people and uh, also other people. So it also serves as a, as a um, to the policy, to divide and rule policy of the regime. Mm -hmm. And and do you know if those people, they have like ethnicity written like Iranian Azeri or they are considered as Iranians only? Is there any difference or not? No, no, there is no, there are no, uh, there are no uh, written uh, distinction. However, you can know. Uh, yeah, Azeri, it's not uh, uh, there. Uh, are Shiites, so it's not uh, like uh, it's not a problem, and uh, it's very. I uh, me personally uh, find it difficult to distinguish between a uh, original Persian, uh, Persian Iranian, Lower Iranian, and Azeri Iranian. But in the case if uh, they are Kurds or Baluchis, then it is a problem because of these uh, populations are Sunni. If you are Sunni, you are uh, then you have a problem. But of course, uh, well, if it's a Jews, it's uh, also clear. I don't know whether they're they're right whether you are you are a Sunni or a Jew, but if you, it is better, as of now, in Iran, it is better to be a Jew than to be a Sunni or to be an Arab. Because uh, it's, a, it's a, a poisonous amalgam of Iranian nationalism with the Shis. You wrote in an article that Azerbaijan hinders Iran from achieving its ambitions in the Caucasus. Nevertheless, Iran cannot fight Azerbaijan directly and has relied on the Moscow-Yerevan-Tehran axis for the purposes since the 1990s. Could you please explain to our viewers why Iran cannot fight directly Azerbaijan? Um, yes, uh, one of the principles of uh, Iranian security strategy relies on asymmetric force or asymmetric power. What does it mean? Uh, the Iranians uh, gained a lot of combat experience during the horrible Jang uh, Tahmili, the Iran-Iraq uh, war, and uh, they understand uh, their weak points. 
say, unlike Russia, if you compare. I understand, for example, that they don't have a normal uh, combat-ready air force because they don't have uh, parts from uh, from the U.S. And so they develop uh, more uh, UAVs and other manned vehicles because it's better and cheaper that uh, what they can achieve through this than trying to build a normal air force. By the same token, they develop missiles because it's again it's the force multiplier, like Isabella. And the uh, third thing, it's a uh, third element of this asymmetric uh, warfare is proxies. Uh, what does it mean? So, uh, as I understand, they cannot fight directly Azerbaijan because the Azeri army is uh, better trained, equipped, and of uh, also more motivated because they will defend their territory and so it's uh, useless so they prefer they opt for another way uh, sending through Iranian militias parts of them a part of them are Azeri and Azeri militia El Hussein Yun that was uh, founded by the martyr Hassan uh, Soleimani uh, so he, they established a uh, local militia in Azerbaijan. They are not as terrorists as, uh, let's say, pro-Iranian Iraqi militias, but still they can organize uh, incitement against the Azeri, the Azeri government and uh, do some covert uh, actions, etc., etc. So this is the power of Iran, or just as uh, they control in Iraq, for example, to make it clearer. What does it mean exactly? It doesn't mean that Iran uh, occupies Iraq or Syria or Lebanon. No, they don't have power. And they, the regime clearly understands that the Iranian people is wary of wars or they have uh, they have enough of their war uh, that claim the lives of more than one million people from both sides, Iraq and Iraq. And, uh, it, but it means that they have militias fully uh, to their order, and uh, these uh, militias uh, wreak uh, havoc in every region. For example, Hezbollah controls controls Lebanon, just as in Iraq they still not control Iraq, but the, of course it's the blueprint of Hezbollah that they would uh, like to have there. That if the event of, of something happens in Iraq, these militias can great disaster, just a unmanageable situation or no man's land. So this is how Iran works. And of course, it uses Armenia to supply weapons against weapons against, against Azerbaijan to Armenia through Karabakh. For example, Armenia purchased Iranian drones. It is. It cannot be compared. It is not, of course, Israel-Palestinian issue. It's not Jammu and Kashmir and Pakistan and India. It's something altogether different because in uh, two previous cases, we're talking about the controversy. Both uh, two parties claim the same territory, and usually, in as we know, in geopolitics, each party has good reasons. Okay, so I'm ready to take also about the Palestinians. But uh, in this case, it's also different because the Karabakh is internationally recognized the territory of Azerbaijan. There is no controversy. Okay, 
there is a severe right of uh, the Armenians of Karabakh that they don't want to live under Azeri rule, but it is their problem. It is not an international problem. International problem, we can uh, evoke it only when we have two internationally recognized uh, actors. And what Armenia is doing is uh, quite uh, uh, not along the lines of normal international uh, policy, uh, because Armenia itself does not recognize Karabakh, but it supplies uh, weapons to Karabakh and uh, wants uh, the others also to recognize it. And the last development related to the Ukraine war, to Russia's aggression against Ukraine, is that Iran delivers drones to Russia through Armenia, just as Vardanyan, Ruben Vardanyan, the head of Karabakh, is an officially Putin's pawn, and he was even inserted into the Ukrainian list of like internationally non-grata persons or something like that, but it is also very well known. It is not that I think anything about Iran. So if I see Iranian newspapers that officially declare that the uh, uh, nexus Yerevan and Moscow to Iran must be created, so they they say it. If they say that Armenia is the very, uh, very important uh, strategic ally, so in this case, the relations of Armenia, of Armenia with Iran are much more than uh, just normal relations between two countries. Why? Again, it's not, I'm not against the Armenian's right to maintain relations with Iran because they don't have other choice. But what uh, the Armenian government is doing, including also overtly anti-Semitic uh, declarations regarding the Israel and Israel Iran and Azerbaijan. Also, they they translated from Iranian newspapers, so it's something uh, much bigger. I just uh, like to underline that when Alexander speaks about newspaper, Alexander speaks also like ten languages, so he is well informed because he is reading various sources. But you mentioned Husseinian Brigade uh, when you were speaking about this previous question. Can you please explain us? How active is this brigade at the moment, and and what's the what's the mission? What, what exactly are they doing? They doing like terrorist attacks, or they doing some sabotages, or, or how they how how they operate? Uh, yes. So I, the ideal of the regime would be that they become indeed like Fatimi Yun in Syria, like Hezbollah in Lebanon, but it is not impossible. So yes, they do sabotage. They do some incidents that uh, if you look uh, from a side, so you cannot, okay, so it just was an incident. But if uh, you see these people, so you see that they were trained in Iran and guided by Iranians, for example, in uh, Nachchivan, there was several years ago, there were like local politics, local po- politics or the elections of the government, the governors, uh, something like that. But if you investigate, you see that uh, behind the normal motives of uh, like uh, local municipal, municipal politics, there were there was Iranian uh, guiding, or it may be an Islamist propaganda. Uh, because also it should be noted that uh, 
Haider Aliyev, the founder of Independent Azerbaijan, was a completely secular person. He was uh, one of the most important KGB uh, hiring officers. He would like to be, maybe he planned to become the head of the USSR KGB. That uh, had to content with his local status. He spoke perfect Russian, better than Azeri. And because of that, he understood the danger of Islamism. So what may look in the West like it's... Uh, and let's say uh, limiting of the freedom of speech, but uh, you see that those uh, guys who claim the freedom of speech are somehow Islamists. Just as a, uh, but in this case, they are pro-Iranian Islamists, and uh, Arab countries they are <laughs> pro-Al-Qaeda Islamists. But uh, also there is a very important remark that should be noted for Western audience. When you hear usually that a person was a high-ranking KGB officer. You may think, oh, was a real, a really bad person, but it's not true because if it is a in conventional Russian person, then yes, because uh, in Russia, if we can see today, it's a negative selection that rules. The more thuggish you are, the upwards, the more you uh, go up the hierarchy. But it is, it was not the case. Uh, in uh, Soviet uh, republics, because uh, a person from Azerbaijan or from any other, any other place who came to Ray, uh, who rose on this rank of hierarchy of KGB must have been a really uh, person with uh, with good qualities. Otherwise, uh, they would never have let him go upwards. Certainly understood also the necessity of uh, having good ties with uh, Israel and uh, uh, Western orientation. This is their orientation is not Russian, but more like Westerns. And in terms of the size of that brigade, do we have any numbers? Like how many people are involved? Plus minus. Uh, we don't. I uh, me personally, I don't have numbers. Uh, I know that they uh, they exist. They exist, but it is not so important the military meaning of the term because they they focus more on uh, diversion and sabotage or like uh, uh, maybe some tactical arrangements uh, when the Iranian uh, it's not Iranian army. It's IRGC. Iran has two armies. It's important to. Uh, to keep in mind when they carry out drills, military drills uh, past the Azeri border, so they're maybe also active there, particularly Nechchevan, because it's uh, isolated, but they don't have any concrete information about numbers and uh, weapons or something like that. It's also mainly it's intelligence activity. This is what's more important because if, if these people speak Azeri, they're local and they can easily transfer to Iran. And as we say, less information better. So they are okay. successful in that way as well. Anyway, you wrote uh, in one of your articles the Zangezur corridor, which is supposed to pass along Armenia's and Iran's border bears enormous importance for both Iran and Azerbaijan, although it is situated on Armenian soil. So is there any internationally accepted solution about this corridor? Or is it going to remain an object of military confrontations? 
I would say that in principle, it is possible to resolve it through goodwill because they, they don't want to annex all the, all the territory, just they want, they want to have a passage through this territory. It's nothing, there's no, it's about that. But uh, even if uh, uh, theoretically Armenia is, not, Armenia is not ready even to hear about that, uh, but uh, even if uh, Pashinyan, Nikol uh, Pashinyan, the uh, president of Romania, is in principle could uh, be able to come to terms with Azerbaijan and even with, the, with the Turkey, uh, neither Iran nor uh, Russia will ever let him uh, consent to any agreement. With Azerbaijan, it doesn't mean uh, a new war will uh, break out. Hopefully, it's not a situation, but it will remain the tension, uh, the source of tension, because Iran simply cannot let it happen. Because if it happens, Iran will uh, feel uh, like uh, by-sided economically. Right. You mention Armenia and Azerbaijan in relations to Iran, but what about Georgia as the country in the Caucasus? What's the relations between Georgia and Iran? Uh, relations between, as far as I know, the relations between Georgia and Iran quite are normal. They're normal, but nothing uh, specific, but... Uh, Georgia has no pretensions or like they, they are what they are and uh, all the in the, they don't uh, they don't they are not in conflict with anyone well except for uh, with Russia of course but uh, we all know very well the reason uh, by contrast the relations of Armenia with its uh, neighbors are full of uh, historical uh, memory or grievances, or there's no will. Georgia has no historical connotations with, with Iran. Armenia has, but uh, in this case, it's uh, the opposite of Turkey. Arme there is an Armenian minority in Iran, but they've always uh, lived there normally, in good relations with uh, their Muslim neighbors. They were never... Uh, discriminated in Iran, and uh, by the way, very often uh, they do know what resident is, head of a KGB station abroad, so the resident of a Soviet embassy in KGB in Iran usually were Armenians because they spoke Persian and looked uh, lo local, so the relations of uh, Armenia with Iran are very good in general, historically so, but uh, uh, as long as Armenia remains reluctant to, to come to terms to promote any peace plan with Azerbaijan and Turkey, it will be, it will be, it will remain stuck to, to its uh, present and past because uh, Armenia lost it's Russian ally. Russia is weak now. It simply cannot, uh, uh, neither can nor want uh, to protect, nor wants uh, to protect Armenia. And uh, Georgia doesn't have all these problems, except for Russia. 
Right. One question from our students is about Caspian oil. And they, they are interested in the geopolitics of the Caspian Sea, you know. For instance, Iran, Azerbaijan, maybe Israel as well. What are the geopolitics of the Caspian Sea and Caspian oil base? Uh, well, Israel is not taking part in the geopolitics of the Caspian Sea. Just as I said, Azerbaijan is uh, one of the main suppliers of uh, oil to Israel. So from this uh, point of view, it is important. But overall, yes, it is a center of many rifts uh, between Azerbaijan and Iran, of course, also between Azerbaijan, uh, between, uh, between Iran and Russia. Because uh, Russia also wants to have its share of Caspian Sea through the other republics, and uh, the Russians and the Iranians don't trust each other. I mean, of course, I'm not talking about uh, on a personal level, but on a on level of states, the relations of uh, Russia and Iran are very complicated because in 46, Stalin attempted to grab. Iranian land through manipulation manipulations in Iranian Azerbaijan. So it's very also Georgia and indeed Azerbaijan some years ago in Georgia, they were part of the Safavid Empire of the Iranian Empire that were occupied by by the Russian Empire. So there's very uh, these relations can are not easy, cannot be easy. And also the Caspian Sea is also, it's not, again, it's not a geopolitical conflict. It's not, of course not. But there is, a, when we hear about the growing cooperation between Russia and Iran, so there is still there, uh, there are much more words than deeds. When you, when you read about uh, those activities of Iranians and Azerbaijan, do we know anything about the secret service of Iran doing some activities in Azerbaijan? Uh, is there any public, uh, you know, sort of like a leak or, or some incident, maybe scandal that you know about? Uh, when uh, the Azeris expelled uh, several Iranian diplomats, uh, were Iranian spies. So yes, they were. <laughs> they were Iranian spies. Iranian spies because this is what uh, they are doing. And of course, Iranian intelligence also doing all these uh, moves of the sabotage, diversion, and silence. Uh, uh, bread and butter of Iranian intelligence activity. Again, it's very, it's not something specific Iranian. It's very similar to what KGB was, uh, was doing. Because indeed, for, for Westerner or for Israelis, it's not things that intelligence, foreign intelligence is doing. But in Iran, just as KGB was uh, dealing with newspapers, with uh, slandering and like organizing a clandestine movement. So this is what they're doing. But uh, the peculiarity of, uh, of the Iranian regime is that they try to outsource, if I may so, this activity to the locals, for example, to carry out uh, terrorist activity or drug smuggling in South America. They use Hezbollah networks. There's a famous American Cassandra project. 
So if because they know the Hezbollah, the uh, Lebanese uh, community, there are many Lebanese communities in South America, so Hezbollah are much more professional, so they can do it better. So they also, they prefer not to implicate their own citizens in these uh, activities. For example, it's not related to Azerbaijan, but to Israel. So several months ago, before the, before the holiday of, of Pesach, Pascha, uh, the Greek security service thwarted an attempt of Iranian intelligence to kill Israelis and Jews coming to the Chabad kosher restaurant in Athene. But what is interesting that uh, two persons who were arrested and were slated to, to, to carry out this uh, carnage, they were Pakistanis, they were Shiite Pakistanis were indoctrinated in Iran, and they were supposed, supposed to get, uh, to receive a payment for $1,000 for each victim, if it, God forbid, had become real. So, okay, Iran, you're talking about Iran, but there are two uh, two Pakistanis. I don't know what, uh, how it is connected with, uh, to Iran, but it is connected because they were indoctrinated and found by Iran. This is Iranian outsourcing. This is why it's also dangerous, because if it comes real, you cannot prove anything, unless you have real proof. Could you elaborate on the significance of Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdullahian's statement that Armenia's security is Iran's security? I think for some students that might be slightly unclear how you can connect your national security of Iran with Armenia, which traditionally Armenia is under or was under Russian wings. Uh, yes, well, it's uh, it's a classic of the genre, as I would say. So there are levels here. First, there is eloquence, so like a classical uh, version of Russian eloquence that it's never only business. So you're secure, my friend, you're like, uh, oh, no, it's normal, normal form. And there is second, uh, what he does not say is uh, clearer than what is said. So they use Armenia as like, as a forepost or whatever to attack Azerbaijan, not to attack a launch war. But to do these things against Azerbaijan, so this is what it, what he means. Moreover, there is another um, confirmation of what I'm saying is that the, several months ago, the former ambassador of uh, Iran's ambassador to Syria, Mehdi Subhani, uh, uh, has accomplished his uh, position in Damascus and was transferred to Yerevan. He is an ambassador, Iran's ambassador to Armenia. Why it is important? It is important because the Iran's ambassador in Lebanon and to, to Lebanon and Syria, it's not a diplomacy, it's a, it's a real military command and coordination of Hezbollah, Prochette militias, nothing to do with diplomacy. It is a very, very important and responsible role. And if we see this person is transferred not to vacation, but to continue the role in, um, in Yerevan, the conclusion is only one, that uh, the attribute, the Iranian regime, 
attribute an utmost importance to Armenia. Otherwise, it's very difficult to, to explain that. Yeah. So the problem here is, again, that Armenia still is a country, it's a state, it's not a no-man's land that no one controls. So if I would expect from Armenian leadership to understand that they doing so, they only exacerbate the conflict. In the meantime, they don't have allies, except for Iran. But of course, Iran, there is no, there are no equal partnership uh, with Russia or, or with Iran, because these regimes understand only the framework of relationship as a vassal and senior. There is no, like, not equals. This is the situation they have. And what is the Israeli and Armenian relationship? Uh, I don't uh, know exactly. In principle, they wanted, they would like to have a to have relationship, but they uh, require they uh, they are uh, still there is um, they don't uh, they are not ready to have relations with Israel as long as Israel as relations uh, with Azerbaijan. Uh, first reason, so, but again, it's not against Armenia, so you have relations. If Iran doesn't, uh, doesn't seek to attack Israel or Azerbaijan, so we have, uh, we're not, our diplomats are not, uh, you know, going abroad with the, with the thought, how do we fight Iran? So, but if someone seeks it, so we will get it. And, uh, the second thing is that there, recognition of the Armenian genocide, which is a very complicated issue, and not only because uh, like uh, because of the Turks. There are very many historical considerations, etc., etc., and, cetera, and cetera. this is like... Uh, and the, there's a third reason, as uh, currently Armenia is replete with uh, plenty of Iranian and Russian spies. It's not a good uh, place for for Israelis to be there. Because, again, Armenia, there is an Armenian uh, battalion of uh, volunteers uh, who are ready to, cut, to, uh, to, uh, to go to Donbass to fight for, for Russia or uh, Luhansk, Democratic Republic, and so like that. It's not uh, like... Uh, uh, this is, but in principle, right, I, don't, I don't know whether... Uh, uh, which is the what is the current status of relations with Armenia? I don't, frankly speaking, I don't know. But it is I know that it is a minimal. We mentioned the Nakchivan region many times during the talk. Can we sort of sum up why is this region important and what is the essence of the conflict? Uh, well, the, the, as I said, it's uh, economically important because not because of itself, but because of like uh, this triangle of uh, borders and because of its economic potential. If uh, many ifs, if uh, if Zanzibar uh, corridor uh, comes true, but the main problem is as long as uh, you know, in all these uh, like. Uh, it's normal that uh, history in general world consists of a geopolitical conflict. It's just the reality of human history. The problem, I think, in my poor opinion, uh, the problem of one of the problems of Europe 
was to to wake up and to understand that wars are part of it's better to 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 forestall war but it, it happens uh, but still you have two ways trying to calm down the conflict try to minimize the reasons for its continuing or try to to add a fuel to to fire and which you this is what is around doing, namely, in general, it's not, a, well, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know what, uh, why this region is so important. But because it's isolated and it is adjacent to, to a hostile territory for the Azeris, to Armenia, so they want it like, uh, they want to secure that. But to say, if, and if Iranians repeat again and again, I know it's it is historical Iranian territory, so of course uh, the Azeris and the, everyone else will get nervous. That's uh, how it works. Uh, the, I would also add uh, another um, phenomenon that uh, we all must uh, be wary of that is trying to rationalize or something. There is no rational in the mathematical meaning of a, of a ratio. It does not exist. So if you, can, if you cannot say, I cannot say about the foreign conflict, why it's so important. Full time it is important because A, B, C. Very important uh, to abstain from uh, very frequent attempts to rationalize the other's behavior. It simply doesn't work because, as this uh, an example that they can uh, bring up here is, for example, you can hear many pundits, Western pundits, saying that the Ukraine's fight to liberate Donbass is uh, irrational from the military and geopolitical point of view because we don't know whether it is, uh, will be, become possible or not. As now, the Ukraine's independence uh, is not under threat. Uh, second, uh, so will, they will sustain many, many losses. Unbearable for the Ukrainian army. And the third thing, uh, there are the, uh, all the Russian populations is indeed a Russian Ukraine hating population. So, why are they? The answer to that is that a nation in war never thinks rationally if we mean by rationality what professors and pundits at the university think as rational. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And uh, simply, uh, so you be, because there is always a temptation to say, well, oh, look at this kindergarten. Why, do, why can't they just come to terms? My answer to this is those who say it are always Westerners and Europeans who simply have American power to manage for them these uh, quarrels. They don't need a resort to this brutal force. So it's not that the Europeans have other values, but they simply don't have a similar situation that was finished due to the very brutal American and Soviet force against the Nazi Germany. It's very important to keep in mind that it's not like, you know, we talk about European values and how like uh, we elevated ourselves to the rank of uh, enlightened people and like these primitive uh, that Jews, Arabs, uh, Turks who cannot understand that, it's necessary to remember Soviet, uh, there was a brutal Nazi beast that could be 
uh, over one only by the brutal Soviet force that raped half Germany and the brutal British American force who burned half Germany afterwards. So everyone is nice. I say that roughly, but it is very important to keep it in mind. Right. Do you think that Iranian military base in Armenia is possible or not? Yes, it is possible because the first again they say that, for example they mentioned that we must uh, establish in Armenia a, a military base in Armenia, but they don't think they will do it overtly in the sense of uh, like deploying uh, dozens of tanks or something like that. Simply because uh, Iran is a very weak militarily. Iran's forces, at least asymmetric uh, force I was talking about, but their conventional uh, conventional uh, military might is very weak. So I don't think they will do that, but of course they can do, they can establish intelligence uh, posts, or this is uh, more than possible drones or something, but some everything that can be covered, uh, Iranian access to other territories, or like sending proxies also, but not an overt uh, military, military technique or vehicles or tanks. When we speak about Iran and Azerbaijan, can we also assess the position of European Union, China, let's say India or United States in this? Or is this more like internal sort of bilateral conflict between Iran and Azerbaijan and the great powers they are not that interested in. What do you think? I would say I'm feared to speak out categorically because it's very difficult to assess. But as it as it as, as it looks now, I would opt for your last option, a local conflict. It may become more important if the importance of Azeri gas grows. Then it will become important, and of course it depends also upon the attitude of each country towards the Karabakh conflict, because in France, so because of Romanian population there, there is automatic support for Armenia and etc. Uh, etc. Et but uh, I don't know what's. I don't think the. European Union has a unified uh, position or an elaborated position, but again, as um, as uh, Russia is losing its influence in the Caucasus in general, and it is important that, uh, for example, uh, as long as uh, Turkey remains strong there, so it won't let uh, Iran uh, to spread. It is a consideration, and uh, of course, because Karabakh is important for Putin, because of Bardanian, so Bardanian, Pashtunian, two different people, uh, then also the issue can become more important in the sense that uh, Karabakh, um, Karabakh uh, leadership prevents the Armenian leadership from uh, from uh, launching peace negotiations uh, with Azerbaijan, both in principle, both parties are ready to talk. Okay? But the uh, uh, under the leadership of Vardanyan, 
for Putin, and also because of themselves, they exert pressure on uh, Armenian leadership not to, they want the war till the end. In principle, it's, uh, this problem can be regulated. There is nothing, uh, again, there is nothing irresolvable there. But uh, as long as uh, Karabakh is de facto independent from Armenia, so it's a, it's a tail that swags the, the dog. The Armenian leadership cares for Karabakh, but they also fear them because they can. Uh, they wanted to kill Pashinyan after they defeat in the in the Karabakh war. Not the Karabakh people specifically, but in general. So when it is a democracy, but when uh, some people want to kill your president, it's. Uh... How would you describe or define the implications of this conflict on Israel? And the second question, do you think that Israeli foreign policy towards Azerbaijan, Armenia is uh, is relatively decent or you see some space for improvement, you know, like what should Israel do? Uh, so, well, I think it, it is, it has always been consistent. So in the sense of the, it is... Uh, it is what it is. So, and of course, if uh, if, if Iranian uh, if Iranian uh, intelligence services are trying to do something, there of course Israeli services will try to thwart it. And uh, because again, it is never the difference. I evoke the similarity between KGB and the uh, and the Iranian regime. KGB still were never terrorists. They didn't kill people with their everyday policy. The Iranians are doing that. So when they gather intelligence about Israel, it's not about learning about Israel. It's about how to kill Israeli citizens in Azerbaijan. So the Azeri service is strong. So, we, uh, But in, in principle, this is what uh, Israeli policy in general has always been and remains and will remain survive, uh, only that of survival. So uh, when uh, it is uh, with all due respect to ourselves, <laughs> Israel still it's a tiny country in the Middle East whose policy can be only survival. Israel cannot have uh, American or French policy, just as a, just as a Poland and Italy cannot can never have one Russian policy. It's impossible. And uh, but in the uh, there is of course there always room for improvement. So for example, I wouldn't say that the improve uh, the improving uh, in the level of the formal diplomacy. I would uh, like to see more awareness among Israeli public and journalists, journalists and uh, decision makers, and also university schools about this region. That it is true, and you're perfectly right. Israeli, let's say, academic world uh, lacks uh, any serious knowledge uh, of, uh, of uh, let's say it this way, of everything, of everyone who doesn't speak Arabic, because uh, it is necessary to remember that the Muslim world is not tantamount to the Arab world. Most Muslims are not Arab. The biggest Muslim state is Indonesia. So we are like uh, we um, got used to deal only with the Arabs, and it's not it is not Arabs. It's something difficult. Uh, various uh, completely different 
challenges, uh, problems, and so on. This, uh, of course, yes. So, but uh, as ministers uh, change uh, every seven years, it's nice to to hope uh, for the improving of their uh, level. Right. And the last questions for today's interview: How would you define Azeri foreign policy towards Israel? Do you see any improvements in the recent years, or it's pretty stable and it's it's standards? In it's uh, look, it is pretty stable. First of all, their policy is exactly the same. So they, for example, they understand or they understood that this policy should never go public because it will damage both us and them. I, I wouldn't say about improving. Improving, you can improve something, but you can do two things equally, and you improve. But in this case, like in every other domain of foreign policy, what you or like any other decision in your life, everything you do, you always do that at the expense of anything else. So now, as the general situation, overall situation is much better and welcoming towards Israel, so the Azeris, for example, they opened the embassy, official embassy in Tel Aviv. With this, uh, uh, does it uh, does it change anything significant or essential? No, but still, it's better to have an official embassy of a country with written with Azeri flag than uh, so the symbols have also importance. Alexander, thank you very much for your time, for your insightful thoughts about this complicated topic. I, I think that we, we covered pretty much everything we wanted and our students are going to watch this episode with uh, great interest. Because as you said at the beginning and, and throughout the talks, I think this issue Azerbaijan, Iran slash Israel needs more attention, more research. And I hope that also this episode will encourage people and researchers to write more about this topic. Thank you again for your time. I wish you good luck with your research, articles, and all the studies that you're doing. Thank you for the occasion to talk about this important issue. Thank you and see you next time. <laughs>